Hello, and welcome to Playing in the Sandbox, Conversations in Pedagogy. My name is Katherine Troyer, and I'm the Assistant Director for the Collaborative of Learning and Teaching here at Trinity University. Playing in the Sandbox is a podcast that developed because I kept asking myself the question, what defines a great professor? And I kept coming up with the same one-word answer, play. I think that the best professors and instructors of higher education are those who promote and exemplify passion, curiosity, exploration, experimentation, and the willingness to fail and try again. In other words, in this podcast, I argue that the best professors are those who meaningfully and thoughtfully play. Thank you so much for joining me, whether you are a first-time listener or you've been checking in for a while now, to this episode entitled, Allowing Students Flexibility in Assignments. What I want to look at today is this idea that I believe that allowing for flexibility in assignment and assessment design can actually provide students with some agency that creates more equitable and engaged learning. And so we're going to talk about, we're going to start by talking about some of the primary concerns that I think people have. And then I'm going to briefly talk about what I think are the rewards for building in flexibility and end with moving from the smallest forms of flexibility, which is just sort of like allowing for a little bit of choice to a sort of radical framework for allowing flexibility that you could choose to incorporate into your classroom. Before we do any of that, though, I think it's important to just sort of make sure that we are on the same page about what I exactly mean when I'm talking about allowing for flexibility in assignments. In the journal Assessment and Evaluation in Higher Education in November 2012, Brian Irwin and Stuart Hepplestone produced an article entitled Examining Increased Flexibility in Assessment Formats. In their lit review section, they talk about the fact that when you are thinking about what constitutes or qualifies as flexible assessment design, that really the answer is kind of flexible. So it could be something um, such as allowing students to decide the weightings applied to each assessment task. It could be using a variety of rubrics so that you have the faculty scored rubric alongside a self or peer assessment rubric that offers a little bit more choice in the method, subject engagement, and criteria that are being evaluated. It can also just mean demonstrating learning outcomes, a shared set of learning outcomes through different methods to indicate or show understanding. And this is the idea that it is possible to ask students to demonstrate their knowledge of a topic, but have them do so through a variety of formats. So you can see there's a lot of room for flexibility in how much flexibility you build into your assignments. There are probably three primary concerns that I hear when it comes to this idea of allowing flexibility in assignments. The first is about time. People get really sort of worried about, well, won't this take more time? The truth of the matter is is that yes, allowing and building flexibility into your assignments and assessments is allowing yourself to take on a little bit more time commitments in terms of what you're doing because you're building in flexibility, which means that you are either having to come up with multiple options for your students to be able to look at 
or you're having to spend more time interacting with them to de devise a schema that works. Either way, it is going to take more time. But I want to go back to the idea that I truly believe in my heart of hearts that when it comes to teaching, if it takes more time, it's probably worth it. The second concern is about design and this idea of like, well, how do I do this? How does it actually work in practice? Okay, let's say I'm willing to buy it. This idea that we should have flexibility, but what does that actually mean? The answer is, is that you're thinking about options, opportunities, forms. You're looking at what you access in the real world. You're looking at how you engage with the subject and you're realizing that there are a lot of different avenues for understanding a concept. And so when it comes to design, in some ways you're actually thinking like someone that's playing because when we play, we have fixed rules and we have fixed steps or like there's some rigidity usually involved in what we can or cannot do. You are not allowed in basketball to double dribble. You are not allowed in chess to move your pawn the same way that you move your queen. Um, and some games have really like sort of evolved in very advanced rules of like, you have seven things that you can do for step A, you have four things that you can do for step B, right? And there's a lot of like sort of very clear structure in place, but when we're playing, the best part of plays is getting to find the flexibility and the creativity within those moments of rigidity. When I'm playing chess, I can choose to either play aggressively and offensively, or I can choose to be more defense. I have those options. And it's true for all forms of play. When we play, there are rules and theories and thoughts in place. When you play house as a kid, there has to be a house. There usually has to be a family, but how it goes from there is just completely up to you at the moment. That's what's exciting about the design aspect is that you have to remember, you may not be accustomed to building flexible assignments but you are accustomed to playing. So it's just about remembering to design like a player. The third thing that I hear a lot is what happens if we allow for flexibility when it comes down to, to evaluation? Can we be fair to our students if we're allowing them freedom to do what they want um, and to do an assignment that may not be as, quote, difficult as another assignment? And to that, I have two answers. I think the first is, is that you have to remember that flexibility is not the same thing necessarily as free reign. You're not just letting students choose whatever they want, because if you do that, students are inevitably going to choose what they feel is the easiest thing, right? So it is possible to allow for flexibility where you are still evaluating everything with the same level of rigor. You're still creating assignments and assessments that have the exact same amount of, of what you are demanding from your students as anything else. You're just allowing for them to have some agency, some ability to make choices and to reflect on those choices that they're making. The second thing that I would say is that it is important to remember that there is a fundamental difference that we always need to think about as faculty between being equal and being equitable. We are in a position to create learning that is equitable and that should be our end goal. And what that means is, is that we need to remember that students are coming into things with different experiences and knowledges and we have to be aware of that and, and sort of be where students need us to be. I was a good writer as an undergraduate, which meant that even though I was doing the exact same assignment as everyone else, write an eight to 12 page paper, the experience was not equal for me as it was for them. I wasn't having to spend as much time 
perhaps writing those drafts because I sort of already had that talent to, to boost me. In her book, Creating the Path to Success in the Classroom, Kathleen F. Gabriel looks at how we can teach to close the graduation gap for minority, first-gen, and academically unprepared students. And she says really early on in this book that one of the important things to be thinking about is class climate. And she says that we need to respect the diverse talents and ways of learning of our students. We need to think about valuing and embracing diversity, not only diverse talents, but also diversity in ethnicity, socioeconomic backgrounds, and academic readiness for college. And there's evidence that proves that failure to do so can have a negative impact not only on students' learning, but also the development of their talents and even their retention and persistence. Creating flexibility in assignments is one way that we can embrace and encourage and promote our students' diversity because we're allowing them to come to us a little bit at least where they're at with their experiences and their knowledge and, and thinking about how we can benefit them. And this does not mean that we're not still challenging students. This doesn't mean that we're not still asking them to develop fundamental skills. We should challenge our students. We should encourage them to do things that are difficult. Um, we should help them to understand that there is desirability in challenge. But we can also help them approach things from where they're at in terms of their talents, their skills, their backgrounds, and help them apply that to the world that we are presenting them with. What we're asking them to do and what we're hoping to do is to use flexibility of assignment and assessment design to help encourage the what if. What happens if I do this? Will it work? How might it be different if I did it this other way? What happens if I know exactly how much an assignment is, is weighted because I helped determine that? What happens to my level of interest and engagement if I'm a true student partner in this experience? And so it's really, it's again, remember it's about play. And so if it doesn't feel playful to you, if it doesn't feel like it's, it's allowing and expanding your world, then maybe you're not ready to go all the way to the flexibility that we'll talk about at the end. So let's start with the like most basic way that you could build in some flexibility into your assignments and assessments. And that is, uh, creating more options than students will be able to complete. And what I mean by that is, so you have a test, give them 10 options and ask them to complete five. And this works whether or not it is completing an equation or answering a short answer question about a literary text. This is applicable across the spectrum in terms of discipline. Because what you're doing essentially is you're saying, okay, show me what you know. Show me what you've been thinking about. There are times, admittedly, where we purposefully design tests because we want to understand gaps, understand what they don't know, and why they don't know it. But a lot of times, our exams and our assessments should be asking students to demonstrate not their failures, but their accomplishments. What do they have a command of? What have they been thinking about thoughtfully? And so what you would do with this is you would have 10 equations that are of this asking them to use the same basic steps. You could have 10 would be a lot. You could have five experiments that all have the same protocol set up and they have to pick two or three of them. You could have 10 
terms that they need to identify that are all on the same subject, but they only have to pick five of them. Or again, you can be even more like literature based uh, where you have, you know, show me the relationship between these two characters, these two characters, or these two characters, pick one of these options. As far as the numbers are concerned, pick four out of 10, pick seven out of eight. Um, I don't think that there's necessarily any evidence that suggests that a certain percentage of flexibility um, is more ideal than others. I think it's really just about allowing students that opportunity to look at and understand that they can show you what they're really good at. Another option would be if you know that there are three things you want them to do this semester. You want them to be able to write a paper, you want them to be able to give a presentation, and you want for them to be able to build a model. See and think about whether or not it is possible that they have some choice about when they're going to do each one of those. So that instead of everyone does a paper first, everyone does a presentation second, everyone does a model third, is it possible that students could choose to do a model first, then the paper, then the presentation. So that across the board, every student is required to do a model, a paper, and a presentation, but they have some flexibility in terms of when they choose to do it. The advantage to this is that if a student feels more uncomfortable about a specific form, right, they know that they're really good at presentations, but they struggle with papers, let them wait until they've seen how you grade other stuff before they uh, tried the paper. Or let them get the paper done at the end when they feel they have more time built into their schedule. What this does is it allows students to understand that they have some control over how they're going to demonstrate their proficiency and knowledge. This can also be done with more traditional sort of exam form of assessments where you could say, okay, there are three big topics that we're going to talk about this semester. You have to be able to demonstrate your knowledge of all three. For one of them, you're going to be able to do this with multiple choice. For one of them, you're going to have to do it with lab work. And for another option, you're going to have to demonstrate it through a short form essay. But you get to pick when that's going to happen. Another option would be to say that, you know, over the course of the semester, you are going to have three assessments, three assignments, but you get to choose what those three assignment forms look like from this list. And so then you could say you could have to do a presentation, you could have to do a paper, you could have to do a interview. You get to pick for all three of these, but here's going to be the formula or here's going to be the rubric that I'm going to be using to assess it. Now, there are some some disadvantages to this, right? If you feel very strongly that students need to know how to write a good paper, you need to be aware of the fact that if you give them that freedom, they're probably not going to pick the paper. And so you have to think very carefully about how important, how married am I to the form of my assessment as opposed to the demonstration of the skill sets. The other, I think, challenge about this is that it does mean that you have to think about, okay, if a student turns in a paper and if a student, and only papers, and if another student only turns in presentations, what does that mean in terms of how I'm evaluating them? And how can I evaluate them equitably despite the fact that they have different forms? One of the solutions is to actually turn to the students. And this is true for any of the flexibility that we're talking about. If you are ever worried that it is not going to create equitable grading practices, talk to your students about that. Ask them, 
okay, how can I make sure that students who are doing a presentation are going to be asked to achieve the same level of academic rigor as the students who are engaged in writing a paper? And the truth of the matter is, is that students know. Students have been doing this long enough that they can give you some thought. Now, that doesn't mean I would give them final say over things, but perhaps they say, well, truthfully, I feel like people sometimes, um, you know, don't take much time to create a presentation because you don't have to really draft it, but it feels like you have to draft papers. Well, then you as the faculty member can say, okay, fine. Then one of the items of the rubric is to demonstrate the process. For paper, that means you have to have at least one draft. For presentation, that means before you talk up in front of the class, you have to have at least one recorded version that you've done on your computer that you can upload so that I can listen to it and see how it's evolved. Or they say, well, it seems like, uh, you know, I'm required to come to you for paper help and then you help me revise it. But for presentations, I just kind of wing it. Well, then maybe an item of the rubric is either peer or faculty review. So you have to have accomplished this and you have to have run a draft and incorporated feedback. And so I encourage you very much so that if you're worried that students are going to quote cheat the system, ask them for help not to. Ask them for how you can help design assignments that they won't feel one of them is obviously easier than the other. Another way that you could choose to allow for more like open flexibility and where, you know, they kind of have some choice over the types of assignments that they're doing is that instead of thinking about difference in form, you could say, think about the difference of intent, or you could think about the difference of purpose. So when we think about form, I think we think about like, you know, I'm going to have them make a model or I'm going to have them to complete an experiment or I'm going to have them write a paper. Those are all very different things. But you could think about it instead of different forms. Um, you could think about it as achieving different purposes so that you could take the same topic and ask them to you still have to write papers, but you have some flexibility over whether or not you are going to write a how-to paper, or you're going to write a compare and contrast paper, or you're going to write a persuasion paper. In the sciences, this might translate to, again, different ways that we communicate the same ideas. So someone could have to write a lab report. Somebody else could have to demonstrate their understanding through a lit review. Another person could have to demonstrate it by actually executing it in the lab itself. Uh, so there are lots of options and ways that you can kind of encourage students to be thinking about the fact that when we understand a subject, we have different goals or, or desires. And so sometimes when we are completing things, we are wanting to have the ability to communicate to them, here's why this is important. Other times we're trying to communicate to them, here's exactly what happened. And other times we're trying to communicate them to them, here was the problem that I began with. And so there are ways that regardless, again, of your discipline, you can add some flexibility in so that students are thinking about the fact that when it comes to a topic, when it comes to a concept, they can demonstrate their knowledge and they can demonstrate learning outcomes through different forms, but also different approaches to the subject.
what is important to remember if you choose some of these options in terms of flexibility is that you really do need to think about equity. And that means that you need to think about if I'm asking my students to have these opportunities to do different forms or to do different approaches um, in their assignments and assessments, how can I make sure that I am asking of them similar learning outcomes, similar demonstrations of facts? And there are ways that you can do that through your rubric design and by thinking about, okay, so if I'm going to have my students show in a video in 60 seconds that they understand a concept, how can I make that in terms of what I'm evaluating be comparable and equitable to this other option where I have students demonstrating this thing that they've learned as they've seen it in the real world uh, in a 300 word report. The truth of the matter is, is that I think when we're considering flexibility in our assignments, it is so easy to focus on the differences and to be like, well, one of them is about video and one of them is about being being time-based and another is about the written word and about finding like real world examples. And so these are just like apples and oranges, but they're both fruit, right? And so I think we have to remember and encourage our students to remember that when we're allowing for flexibility of assignment design, we're doing it because we see that there's some important commonalities between these forms, between these approaches, and we believe that it is worth equally, that they're equally valid uh, ways of demonstrating skills. So I would suggest that if you have things where students can truly choose option A or option B, and they may never choose the other option, that you think about building a shared rubric for that assignment that regardless of which option they choose, they're still being assessed on many of the same criteria. And so this comes down to thoughtfulness of idea, thoroughness of examples provided, the ability to make sure that the form that they chose matches the content that they are talking about. These are true across the board and can be used regardless of whether or not it's more presentation style or written, whether it's a hands-on creation of something in a lab or a more 3D imaging on a computer, right? There are still some universal components across the board. Okay, so I want to now talk to you about what is arguably going to be the most challenging but potentially rewarding of the options when it comes to building flexibility into our assignments. Allison Cook Sather, Catherine Beauville, and Peter Felton have a fantastic book called Engaging Students as Partners and Learning and Teaching, a Guide for Faculty. In this book, they're talking about different forms of, of faculty-student partnerships. And some of them are like our Tigers as Partners program that we offer through the collaborative, where a student is paired up with a faculty member and observes the faculty member throughout the semester and provides feedback, suggestions, and, and a conversation, true collaboration between what the faculty member is doing and what the student is observing from their perspective. But really, I would argue that all interactions with students should have a component of collaboration and partnership. 
and they argue that partnership is really important because what it does is it helps to use the distance that exists sort of innately between faculty and students in, in more thoughtful ways. There should be a difference and a distance between them. Faculty have spent lives and decades um, mastering their craft, mastering expressions of their craft, and mastering, uh, hopefully, expressions of communicating that to students. Students are coming in new and fresh, and although they have experiences and thoughts, they don't have, by sheer n truth of the fact that most of them have not even been alive as long as faculty members, um, that many years of experience. But just because there's a distance or just because there is a difference between faculty and students doesn't mean that that distance should feel um, impossible to, to bridge. And it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be possible for you to say, you know what, I have experience, but you have experience too. Let's come at this where we're both coming from different places and find a place where we can come together and create something really neat. And so if partnerships become really valuable ways to create the conditions, they argue, for curiosity and common inquiry, and to break down the barriers that often distance problematically students and faculty. One way that you can choose to build flexibility into your courses is to truly place a significant amount of trust and responsibility onto your students by allowing them to have a lot of flexibility because they're having to really think about what are the best ways that I can demonstrate these student learning outcomes and what are the best ways that I can demonstrate these student learning outcomes in ways that allow me to be rigorously challenged and also rewarded. I've done something similar to this before where I ask students, okay, here are the types of things that I need for you to be learning this semester. What are some of the ways that we can do this? What are some of the ways that we can allow for this to be assessed? Surprisingly enough, students wanted to be quizzed. They wanted in that case to be held accountable. So we built quizzes in. They decided that they really liked this idea of having a sort of creative project because it fit very nicely with the class at hand and it felt nicely with what they were interested in doing. It also allowed them to explore some of the topics that they had helped me to come up with together. Now, this was a class that that was the whole point. The whole point was to get students to understand that there is an academic community that they are an integral component of. And so that fit nicely. But it was not without its challenges. I did have to sort of help them understand, okay, so if we're going to have quizzes and we're going to have this and we're going to have that, how much is everything going to be weighted? And of course, there were times that they were like imposing, not impossible, but unwieldy options where they wanted, you know, everything to just be sort of, you know, 50% is going to be this paper. And so I had to encourage them to think about best practices for teaching. And so I told them about low stakes, way to sort of build things up and then higher stakes until we have high stakes, high rewards. We had to talk about that. We had to talk about metacognition and the best practices for retrieving information and thinking and learning about their learning. So it wasn't just willy nilly. I did sort of have to encourage them to, to move in the direction that I knew was going to ground them for success. But the result was a class that was invested in their learning in a way that, that was and has been rather unprecedented compared to my other courses. Again, this was a very unique situation. I don't know if I would recommend always or even in any other course allowing for that much flexibility, but there are ways that you can allow students to help you design the flexibility. Ask them, I want for you at the end of the semester to be able to show me the difference between X and Y. 
what are some ways that we could do that? And then you can vote or you can decide that people can come to you for different paths. You could say, here are three different ways that you could be engaged this semester. Which option works best for you and how could we tailor that? And so one of them could be, you know, really focused on taking notes. One of them could be really focused on participation in core class. And, and then you are asking them to do different things depending on that, right? Like really the sky is the limit in terms of how much flexibility you can add in depending on how comfortable you feel. But when students know that they have a stake in the matter, when they understand, you know what, I helped determine that this assignment was going to be worth so much. I helped write the test that I'm about to take or versions of the test that I'm going to take. That makes a difference. It helps them to understand that they are true partners in this learning and that their learning is dependent upon them bringing to the table their strengths, their choices, their agency. As I wrap up, I just want to tie this back to, to play. Like, what does this have to do with play? And the answer is, the simple answer is, is that I think everything has to do with play. I think play is a fundamental component of who we are. And I think that play happens all the time. And so we just need to be thinking about it happening more thoughtfully. But the other truth of the matter is, is that play is about asking ourselves, what happens when we do this? Or how does it work if we do that? And too often, I think, by having really rigid and fixed assignment prompts, we are preventing our students from engaging in asking those questions. And again, I'm not saying that you cannot have an assignment that is very prescribed. Sometimes we want our students to understand. You need to have four sources. You need to have an introductory paragraph that does this. You need to have a conclusion that does that. Um, sometimes that's the, that's the learning outcomes that we want to see. Can you follow a really fixed model successfully? But other times we want to see other things. And I think it goes back to the, are we allowing our student learning outcomes to be reflected in our assignments? And is there a way that we could allow for them to play um, and still experience what we want them to experience? In our next episode, I want to talk about discussion because I think that many of us really want good discussion from our students. We're excited to see good discussion, but discussion doesn't always end up being quite what we imagine it could be in our heads. And so I want to look at how we can encourage our students to be playful in the discussions that they're having so that we can have more intelligent and more thoughtful discussions where hopefully more people are involved. Thank you so very much. Until next time.